Hey there, thanks for tuning in. My name's Kara, and you're listening to Demystifying Careers, a podcast where we talk to real people about who they are, what they do, and how they got to where they are today. For today's episode, we have Malik Dancy and Chelsea Hanfield, two doctors who have recently started their medical residencies in orthopedic surgery and dermatology, respectively. The couple, who are actually married in real life and met while attending neighboring medical schools, talk with us about their professional journeys thus far. I spoke to them about many different aspects of their careers, and so this episode you're listening to is the first of three that will be released. In this episode, Malik and Chelsea discuss getting started in medicine, from what first inspired them to become doctors, to what advice they'd give their college selves. Listen on to hear all about it, and when you're done, check out their other two episodes about life in medical school and what applying to medical school is like. With that said, enjoy the podcast. So Chelsea and Malik, you guys are about to be residents. You're about to start your residency. I'd love to hear what got you guys interested in medicine in the first place. If you could take me back in time to, yeah, what made you first want to become a doctor? For me, I have been pursuing medicine since I was in high school. Um, It was my first biology class where I just thought the science of life was so fascinating and I just wanted to continue to study it. I fell in love with the subject, particularly wanted to pursue medicine because I knew whatever I wanted to do, I wanted to have a positive impact on the world. And I'm a deep believer in the best way to have an impactful life is through one-on-one interactions. And I feel like medicine really lends that self. You can help each patient at a time and really make a difference in their life. For me, when I was young, my mom was still going to nursing school. And so she'd always bring home her textbooks and things like that and show me things inside of it. So I kind of got interested, at least in healthcare, pretty early on. I was a big science nerd when I was a kid. So I'll go to science camps and things and you know, I always wanted to be Dexter's lab, <laughs> Dexter from Dexter's lab. You know, I might've dated myself a little bit. It's an old cartoon, but I always wanted to be him. And so, you know, as I got older, I kind of combined my interest in science with what it is my mom had exposed me to. And then uh, I started to do more service things, you know, naturally just with school, you have to volunteer different places. And so medicine kind of presented as a way to marry those interests together. So you have the science piece and then you have the service piece of helping somebody. And, uh, you know, it's one of the best rewards, you know, at least for me personally, is just knowing that I did something to help somebody else. And so, you know, medicine gave me that full spectrum uh, between what it was I was naturally interested in and then getting that kind of altruistic piece. That's great. Anytime you can find something that you're not only interested in what you're doing, but you feel like it's meaningful. I also like how Dexter's Laboratory inspired you a little bit. At first I thought you meant Dexter, the murderer show. About yeah, the yeah, not that one. I was like, oh, <laughs> is medicine really where you want to be? You know they say that anyone who's interested in surgery has like a slight hint of nah. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for telling me a little bit about you know, where that interest first came. Also, just so people kind of get an understanding of who who you guys are, where you're located, where are you guys right now? Where did you guys grow up and where are you going to be for your residencies? So I'm from Miami, Florida, born and raised. Absolutely love it there. Um, And I've been pretty much on the East Coast my whole life. Um, So I went to college at Yale in Connecticut. For some reason, I just really wanted to be in the Northeast. Um, 
and that was very shocking the first time I got my first winter. <laughs> a little colder than Miami. <laughs> very different. Um, and then went to Duke for medical school. So I came down to North Carolina. Um, and I'm still here now. I'll be going to Aventura Hospital for my transitional year. Um, and then we're both going to Minnesota at Mayo Clinic um, for our respective residencies. Me, uh, I was born in a small town east of North Carolina called Goldsboro. Um, I lived there for like the first 10 years of my life and then I moved to Raleigh and I did middle school and high school there. Uh, for college, I went to UNC Chapel Hill and then I stayed again for medical school. So I've been there. I've been in Chapel Hill probably longer at this point than I've been anywhere else. And uh, like Chelsea, also going to Mayo Clinic for orthopedic surgery residency. And I, I guess I should mention this, that you two are married. Um, and now I've just learned that you guys are a Duke-UNC relationship, which must come with some tension. <laughs> I mean, I'm a true UNC fan. And she's kind of a fake Duke fan. It's so. more fun to just rile him up. Yeah, she just likes <laughs> messing with me on game day. But, you know, it's not all that serious between us. So. <laughs> also, I'd love to, in this episode, talk a little bit about kind of the big picture of, like, the medical journey. So becoming a doctor, because there's lots of different stages. And it's a very long period of time that one takes from being a student who's first interested to becoming a full-fledged doctor. Um, so could you help us, like, zoom out a little bit and talk about those different stages? So I think the first step, if you know that you want to pursue a career in medicine, in order to apply to medical school, there are certain requirements, um, like course requirements that you have to complete. Um, at each institution for your undergrad, that may look like different things. So some people actually have to declare that they, that they want to be a pre-medical student, like a pre-med major. Um, at my school, I didn't have to do that, but I still had to complete kind of those pre-med re course requirements. Um, if you don't end up doing that, then you can do something similar to what Malik did and do a post-bac. Um, so whether you complete those courses during your true undergrad experience or you do a post-bac, no matter what, there are some courses that you just have to do before you apply to medical school. Yeah, and then so, you know, contrary to popular belief, you don't have to be a science major to apply to medical school. Um, one piece of advice that I got, I ultimately didn't end up taking it, but one piece of advice that I got was, do anything else that you're interested in and major in that during college and just take your pre-medical requirements like Chelsea was talking about and it can get you to the same place. So actually a lot of people, I think behind a science major, the most common major for people that go into medical school is English. So, you know, as long as you get those courses done that are needed to, to get into medical school, to apply to medical school, you can be whatever type of major you want. Uh, again, I ended up going with science just because that's what I like. So I went with biology and, and chemistry, but I had a good deal of friends that ended up doing wildly other things. And then, uh, you know, they still ended up in medical school with me, so. And I think medical schools really like that, having a different, unique experience. Um, it really looked fondly upon like college athletics, uh, music majors, uh, Malik minored in Spanish. Like all of those non-medicine, non-science experiences really enrich um, who you are as an applicant and who you'll be as a physician. Like people want their doctors to be relatable. So if you have those experiences, you're more likely to be able to relate to patients on another level. That's great. Because I think there is definitely a stereotype or a trope of you have to be a science person in order to be a doctor, as in you have to major in science and all your extracurriculars are surrounded about, about that. Um, but I think knowing that there's other ways to go about 
that career path is really nice. In addition to kind of the course load that you have to take, Chelsea kind of talked a little bit about the extracurricular things and they, they look at those, they take those into account. They want well-rounded people, again, that people that other people like, can enjoy to be around, can relate to other people in some form or fashion. So extracurricular things are important. And then uh, I didn't take advantage of this, so it's not absolutely mandatory, but I know some people did, I believe Chelsea did, uh, research. Um, that's how, if you can somehow get involved in that during undergrad and, you know, kind of point it towards the medical field some in some form or fashion, I think that's very highly looked upon. Um, again, I didn't do it, so it's not mandatory, but it'll definitely give you a leg up as far as applying. You haven't been through all the stages yet of becoming a physician. I know you still have residency in front of you, um, but for where you are now, what has been the hardest thing so far that you've been through? I think for me, uh, the hardest thing, relatively speaking, would have been my preparation for taking the MCAT, which is the uh, entrance exam for medical school. It's kind of like the SAT to get into medical school. And I think that was the hardest because it was the first huge challenge that I had as far as standardized test taking. Um, there will be more, there were more standardized tests to come in medical school, but the MCAT was kind of a shock in that, you know, the volume of information that you kind of have to cover and, you know, the, the, the depth of which you had to know. I hadn't seen that part before. And so uh, I ended up taking, I didn't take it during undergrad alongside my classes. I actually took it after undergrad. Um, I graduated and then I took that summer, that entire summer, about two or three months straight. And I, I went at it pretty hard every day and then took it at the end of the summer. And uh, I actually ended up taking it again. Uh, so I didn't get the score that I wanted the first time. And so I prepared for it again about, I want to say six months later and gave it another eight weeks. And then that second go round, I got what it is that I wanted. But, you know, just that, that the discipline that I had to have um, and just working that long every day was something that was new to me. And um, that's why I think what made it the most challenging, relatively speaking. Of course, you know, when I got to medical school, there was step one and step two and other exams that were definitely more challenging, so to speak but it weren't novel. At least I could look back and say, okay, well, I've had this experience before with the MCAT. I know I can study long hours. It's just a matter of putting in the work now. So definitely MCAT for me. I think I'm between two choices. Uh, one of them being learning how to take board exams. So similar to what Malik was just saying with learning how to take the MCAT. Um, once you get into medical school, they're more similar standardized exams. So you have to take step one, which tests a lot of kind of um, basic science, biologic, organic chemistry um, type questions that aren't necessarily covering information that's relevant to actually being a physician, um, but is, has historically been a very important test in terms of ranking or ruling in or ruling out a potential applicant for residency. Um, the other board exams that we have to take are step 2CK, which is um, isn't also an important board exam, but it tests more clinical material, so much more relevant to your future career. Um, and then also step 2CS, which is more of a practical exam where you're actually going through and examining standardized patients and writing up kind of a standard physical and um, a standard patient note. Learning how to prepare for those exams and also kind of the shelf exams that are at 
the end of each of our clinical rotations is a completely different process than learning how to study for a test in college or even during your preclinical curriculum in medical school. And uh, coming to that realization the hard way for me <laughs> um, was something that was really difficult and but also a really important process because I'm going to be taking board exams for the rest of my life. Um, they always say that physicians, you're signing up to be a lifelong learner. So those are skills that it was really important for me to develop and um, something that I'm happy that I learned early on kind of in my medical school career. The other thing that was really challenging was the transition to actually working in the clinical setting. It's really funny because that's what you want to do. You went to medical school because you want to start working with patients and helping them. Um, but when you actually make that transition, it can be really awkward and difficult sometimes. You are at the bottom of the total pole. <laughs> you don't know what you're, they kind of just let you out there. You're fish swimming in water, but all by yourself. You don't know what your responsibilities are, where you're supposed to be. It's a lot of confusion. And um, dealing with that kind of on my first few days, was it was a hard transition. And it's something that everybody goes through and that I'm sure any medical student can relate to. Mm -hmm. um, but that's definitely something to note, like be, expect to be uncomfortable. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I imagine there's a lot of new experiences that you're going through during this whole journey. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, how did you guys, you know, find resources to understand the process better? Um, was it online? Did you reach out to people? Mentorship? Like, what was that process like for you? Uh, for me personally, one of the biggest things was mentorship. Um, I didn't have any doctors in the family. Um, I didn't really know. I didn't have any personal relationships with any doctors even outside of the family. And so um, in the years leading up to med school, I kind of made it a point to seek out people that were in the places that I wanted to be, whether they were people in medical school or people in residency or you know, even attending physicians that are kind of deep in their career just to get a good idea of what steps I need to be taking. Because a trend that I kind of noticed early on in my undergraduate career is that, you know, a period of time would elapse and I found out that I was supposed to have taken some step, you know, over the summer, whether it's, I was supposed to have found some research over the summer, or I was supposed to have, you know, tried to get an internship over the summer, but you know, the summer's over or the school year is over and I hadn't done those things and it wasn't really due to any fault of mine. There's just not, some steps just aren't intuitive. Like you kind of have somebody that leads you down that road. And if you're not born into the circumstances where you have somebody kind of just readily at hand, you really got to seek those people out because, you know, this journey is not one that's uh, common sense. You can't just kind of follow, follow your own drum and get there. It, you have to be very intentional about the steps that you take. And so that's what a mentor kind of provides. You know, you talk to somebody, somebody that can tell you what you need to be doing each step of the way. So not only that you can be, you know, hit, hit your milestones on the right time, but you can even be ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. And so, uh, you know, I thought that was, that was huge for me. I agree. Mentorship is so key. And I feel like not until recently did I understand the importance of having mentors at every level. And for all of your specific needs. So you can have, like coming in as a first year medical student, you wanna have like a second, third year, fourth year medical student that you can call on to give you guidance for like each of those years, because you need different things or you have different requirements each year of medical school. You wanna have resident mentors, you wanna have attending mentors, research mentors, 
professional goals mentors, someone who you may like how they really balance like work versus their personal life. You need to seek out mentors for any and every aspect of your life. And the earlier you learn how to approach a potential mentor and really nourish and develop that relationship, you'll be way ahead of the curve. How would, if I was a med student or if I wanted to be a med student, I was on the beginning of the journey, what advice would you guys give me to seeking out mentors? Like, how do I approach them? Do I cold call them? What does that look like? Uh, So generally, you're going to do it through email. You know, you find, just kind of be resourceful, look on websites, kind of stalk websites a little bit, you know, admissions websites or hospital websites, find somebody's email and yeah, just cold email them. Um, What I like to do is in the subject line, you know, they attendants, residents, so even medical students, very, very busy people. And so I try to um, give them as much information in, in, in as little of a message or as, in a very succinct way, just because, you know, try to respect people's time. So in the subject line, you know, I put my name, Malik Dancy, and then uh, I put, you know, what year I am, at, you know, medical school to say, you know, MS4, fourth year medical student. And then in a couple of words after that, I just put what I want. And that's all in the subject line. So like Malik Dancy hyphen MS4 hyphen question about X, that type of thing, or mentorship, that type of thing. And then in the subject line, I, I mean, in the uh, body of the message, I'll just tell them a little bit more. Uh, again, not pages and pages because most people won't read through all that. Um, just uh, maybe a paragraph or so just explaining what it is that I hit them up for. Um, I had to have patience. You got to have patience. Because again, you know, they're getting tons of emails, some of which are very high priority and have to be addressed immediately. And kind of relatively speaking, what, what it is that the student or whoever's hitting them up may want is not as high priority. So it might be a week, it might be two weeks, they might not get back to you. But in general, I like to give it about a week or two before I send another email. And sometimes it takes two, sometimes it takes three. But if you keep sending them, eventually, hopefully, <laughs> they answer you back. And a lot of times they respect the persistence because, you know, especially attending physicians that are in their career, a lot of people want them for a lot of things and they may or may not be dedicated to the things that they're asking them about. And so if you try and contact somebody multiple times, at the very least, it shows that you are dedicated and you are being persistent and you're serious about what it is that you're asking. And uh, I'll say probably after about, you know, you got to put your pride to the side. You might, like I said, get two or three no answers back. But, you know, if they answer you after that, you know, they'll probably be very helpful for you. And usually it's easier to have a conversation over the phone. I like to request phone conversations just because, you know, texts can get burdensome. And then again, emails tend to get dropped. And so if you can line up, you know, maybe suggest, hey, would you be available in the next few weeks to speak on the phone about these things? If you can get them on the phone, have a list of questions on hand already instead of, uh, Instead of like, you know, kind of keep tell me everything you know about this, just have very pointed, specific questions to get the information that you need. Because again, their time is very uh, limited. And uh, after all that said and done, definitely always follow up with people. Tell them thank you. Tell them you appreciate them. Maybe drop in a month or two later just to, you know, send another thank you email or just hope you're doing well, that type of deal. That really goes a long way because mentors can, can, can be mentors for life. And that is such a valuable thing. And anytime you have the opportunity to really grow and nourish relationships, like Chelsea was saying, you should definitely take advantage of it. Because uh, in this field, especially the medical field, it's, 
it's big, but it's small at the same time. And so who you know really goes a long way. I just want to add a couple of things to that. So after in the, within the body of your email, make sure you also have a preformed signature. So that should include your name, um, again, kind of, and it would be Chelsea Hanfield, comma, MS, whatever year in medical school I am, um, and then whatever roles of leadership I had. So for me, my thing said my name, my year, uh, Duke School of Medicine, MD candidate, class of whatever year I was supposed to graduate, so 2020. Then I had um, dermatology interest group president. That was kind of my most important leadership role. And then I had a photo, um, a professional photo of myself. And I think that's a really nice touch mm -hmm. um, to help really engage whoever you're trying to um, contact as a potential mentor. So they feel like they get to know you a little bit better. Or then if you happen to see them in the halls, you can wave and maybe they'll actually remember or recognize you um, as their potential mentee. And then also, I just wanted to stress the importance of continuing to um, engage that person. So following up with them every three to six months saying, oh, I just saw that you just published this paper. I read it. It was really awesome. And I liked this from it. Or um, I, have a qu I have another question about this. Can we schedule another phone call? Or, hey, I just published this paper or I just went to this conference and I really enjoyed um, this part of it. Um, just updating them, making sure that they know that you're staying up to date on whatever they're doing. Um, just another way to really nourish that relationship. Kind of just as a last note on that mentorship piece, I think it's important to go into it without setting too many expectations. You're going to have some great mentors, some fantastic mentors. You're going to have some that, you know, you might only talk to one time and they might not be all that helpful, but, you know, don't take it personally. And again, don't, don't go in hoping that, you know, somebody's going to be that lifelong mentor that you were hoping for. It might just be one conversation or it might be lifelong, but just leave it completely open. Kind of like I said, put your, put your pride to the side and try not to take it too personally. That's really good advice. I think anytime you're going to take one person and say, this person's advice is going to change my life and they're going to be my lifelong buddy, that's maybe putting the expectations too high. Um, but even with one conversation, you can still hopefully gather some helpful uh, things along the way. I also had a question about sort of the nitty gritty of what should be in that first email, the body of the email that you're introducing yourself with. Are you asking a specific question, something like, I would love to learn more about your field? Or are you just saying like, hey, I'm looking for a mentor. Would you be my mentor? What is in that actual question? I can't say I've ever asked anyone specifically like, hey, can you be my mentor for life or me my mentor as I try to go into this? I always came with a specific question. And then the mentorship, someone becoming my mentor just really came from me continuing to ask questions and continuing to get advice. And, you know, eventually it'll kind of, you know, again, more quickly for some people than for others. But eventually, if you keep asking those questions, you know, and keep uh, picking their brain about things, you kind of break out of the confines of the stiff kind of work relationship. Again, if, they, if they're open to that and it gets more to their, they're actually genuinely interested and what it is you're doing. They hope that you, you know, they want you to do well. They're actually looking out for you. That's best case scenario. It's funny when I was younger, when people talked about networking and finding mentors and all this, it always felt like such a formal process and maybe there were applications to it. And it was just a lot more structured than my experience with it has actually been. It's just meeting people and connecting with them organically and letting that evolve over time. And that's really what mentorship and networking is. So I have another question about you know, finding those mentors and picking who it is that you're going to 
um, ask to be a mentor, or not really ask, but to reach out to, what's the criteria there? Are you looking for people who have the same background as you, who are going into the same field as you? What does, what goes through your mind when you're figuring out who to reach out to? I just look at someone that I admire for some reason and try and connect with them on that aspect of their life. Uh, so for example, if it's a research mentor, then it's someone who I like what their lab is doing or what type of content they're publishing. And I want to learn more about that. If it is um, just a purely clinical professional mentor, maybe I like what they're specializing in and I want to learn more about that. Um, but the kind of characteristics that I'm not paying attention to are the location of the mentor. So if I'm at a conference, that's my time to find mentors at institutions other than my own. I'm not limiting myself. I'm a woman. I'm an African-American woman. I'm not just looking for mentors who look like me. So women don't, I feel like people tend to be more comfortable um, or just gravitate to people who look like themselves, but don't limit yourself that way. Um, you should seek out mentors from all different aspects of life. That's, that's not an, a component or a characteristic that should really factor into your decision. Again, kind of zooming out, looking at this whole process, you guys have been through the undergrad stage, med school, about to start residency. Um, what are some things that if you could go back to your younger selves, tell, tell your younger self? You know, what are some things that surprised you, some advice that you would give? Now, if we talk younger, I mean, like probably high school age, middle school age, was to try and develop the discipline and study skills while the work was still relatively easy. In high school and middle school and through a lot of college, I was like a cram studier. <laughs> so I would, you know, kind of wait to the last minute to start preparing for things. And when you get up towards the end of undergrad, and especially definitely when you hit medical school, it's just not feasible. It really doesn't matter how smart you are. It's just so much information that you have to be used to, you know, putting in work every day because those weren't skills that I came into medical school with just because I didn't, I, I could, I got by without developing those. At the very beginning of medical school, it was a challenge because I had to develop those quickly as an adult. <laughs> the piece of advice that I would give my younger self is to hold on to your, my passions outside of school, outside of work. I think it's really important to maintain a sense of what makes you happy, the activities that bring you joy. Those are the things that are going to help you relieve stress and um, help you reduce anxiety and kind of maintain a sense of balance and wellness. Medical school, medicine, it's a lot of hard work. It's stressful. So you need to know how to take care of yourself as well. Um, and I feel like if you stay in tune with your passions, your other um, outside activities, then you'll be better equipped to do that. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on the guests and what was discussed, check out the information in the podcast description box. And to hear more, feel free to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating so others can find demystifying careers too. Don't forget that if you want to hear more from Malik and Chelsea, there are two more episodes available where they discuss medical school and applications. Thanks again and see you next time.